Wop, 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 wop. That's a transforming sound. No, no. <clears throat> no, no, none no, of them are good. In honor that's of no, transform. That, that was, I, I'm, that second one was pretty good. I'm just no, saying. Was, oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. <laughs> in honor of Transformers Rise of the Beasts in theaters this weekend, what would be the name of your first car's Transformer? And was it an Autobot or Decepticon? <laughs> I'm Katie Rich. Mine was a, a gold 1998 Saturn that had previously belonged to my grandfather, and it had a, a dashboard-mounted compass when I got it. Uh, so I feel like it would be compass, and that sounds like a helpful Autobot. Uh, I'm Matt Patches, and I also had a 1998. It was like a Chrysler. I don't even some sort of sedan. I, I don't know anything about cars. I bought it for my grandma. It was purple. And the brakes like barely worked. I was driving around Brooklyn, barely, barely capable of stopping at red lights. It was it was a great time with Your my newborn child. Your grandmother sold you her car. Yes. How did you buy it? With money. With what money. What do you mean with what with, money? How did how did you have how did because you have I didn't get a car until I had a teenager. child and I lived in Brooklyn. I never owned a car. Oh, no, I was, I was fifteen in this scenario. No, I had. No, I killed it for money back when I was a teenager. And yeah, that's not, no. I <laughs> you were you were a hitman. I was a hitman. I was a hitman bodyguard actually. Anyway, I my 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 <laughs> car's name was Squeaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm Dave with the seven, and my car was a 2000 green Toyota Corolla, and it was a Decepticon called T Rex. Because it, uh, it totally wrecked. Mm-hmm. And I'm David Ehrlich, and my first car was a Jetticon. It was a uh, <laughs> it, it was a Decepticon, but it wasn't like an evil Decepticon. It was just sort of, you know, like trying to be a devil on the shoulder of a horny 16-year-old boy. You know, trying to get him into good trouble. I mean, that sounds like a, the plot of Bumblebee just for a boy, so I would It's be exactly like, what it is. Uh, unfortunately, it had to be a Decepticon rather than just a benevolent uh, Autobot because Jetticon sounds better than like, Jet of Miss Prime. Jetabot. Uh, you know, auto, so. Autota? Then, uh, never mind. Nope. No, but it, it was uh, Black Jetta. It had like those fluorescent blue interior dashboard lights, which were real mm-hmm. cool. Uh, mm-hmm. And it had this pretty sweet pickup for a car that was like the not the souped up version. It was like, you know, the cheapest Jetta you could get. And uh, man, that thing moved. I wanted a Jetta so badly when I was in high school. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine. I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's 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 awesome. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 432. It is the week of Wednesday, June 7th. That is the day that in 1955, President Eisenhower became the first president to appear on color television. Yeah. I wonder if they were shocked and horrified. Like uh, like Nixon in those debates. I was like, should I look up why he was on television? But then I decided no. Eh, that's eh, all you need eh, to know. He had his reasons. He was there. I'm sure. I'm sure there was a reason to be on television color. when you're the president. <laughs> yeah. Hello. You have color. Uh, I don't know if we have any reviews. So I'm going to ask David. We do. I apologize to our lovely listeners and reviewers if I sound in pain by reading these. The... Uh, the air conditions in New York today. Um, if I mean, we're recording this on whatever it is, Tuesday, June sixth, and there are the wildfires from Canada blowing in. <laughs> now you're getting confusing because we said the podcast was on June. 
seventh, but we're recording. We said no. it was the week. The we week said it was of, the week of oh, June seventh. Okay, okay. We, we, we uh, had our bets. I've cleared this this hurdle several times before. <laughs> anyway, yes, Canadian wildfire haze. Yeah, blood they're moves. fucking with my sinuses. Something. Oh my god, it's fierce. awful. Wow, um, it, is it is bizarre really outside. Terrible. A thick, a uh, thick smoke. I, I've been hurting since I woke up this morning and like it gradually dawned on me why. Um, anyway, CC the professor says you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> uh, I'll always give you all five stars because you're one of my favorite podcasts, but I'm mainly writing this to ask, have none of you heard of The Road to Wellville with Anthony Hopkins and Matthew Broderick all about Harvey Kellogg? Keep up the great work. I really appreciate everyone's insight. Yes, we... Uh, we talked about uh, Kellogg's and the invention of Kellogg's cereal last week. We figured <clears throat> that there had been a movie about Harvey Kellogg. We uh, could not identify exactly what that movie was, but thanks to our listeners. Now we have um, Nate Shu says, Mr. Longtime listener on other platforms, but I had to log on on the Apple account. I only have to watch Apple TV Plus to say that the movie Katie wants about the invention of Kellogg's already exists, albeit <laughs> highly fictionalized in 1994's Road to Well. Next week we should watch huh? this movie and, and instead of Transformers. Well, I watch it with my spare time. Oh, in, in hard books would there. you like to know where you can watch it? You can watch it on Sling TV and Tubi and Pluto TV, all oh, of right. our favorite streaming Pluto platforms. Have yeah, Pluto. You fire up on, on Tubi or Pluto and it'll be like in Polish. Like they're just like, yeah, we have that movie. <laughs> Ripped from the VHS. <laughs> in some way, shape or form. Um, uh, my heart sinks every time I search an Apple TV plus and it's like <laughs> these are the one plat- the one platform that this movie exists on. I just know that it's not going to be in any watchable form. Uh, a forgotten film in Alan Parker's very unique career. Maybe worth revisiting one of these days. Well, Nate Shue is well ahead of you, Matt Patches. I haven't seen it in years and even shot in both Wilmington and Willabow, North Carolina. Shame on you, Katie. Oh. Shame. Wow. Um, Shame on you. Shame. That time. Well, Shame on me. I had Winnebo. Where is Winnebo? Look it up. Kisty says, enjoyable conversations. A good podcast about movies and pop culture. Hearing the descriptions and discussions about both media I know and don't know is enjoyable. I don't always agree with the takes, but it's always good to hear many thoughts on the topics. Constructive criticism. Often David starts out his thought at a good level, but drops off what sounds mumbly at the end of a thought. It makes it hard to follow his thoughts sometimes. Yeah, this is not a problem unique to this podcast, Kitsy. This is <laughs> this is hard to follow your thoughts when you're writing. Sort of how my brain works, um, but I'm working on it. Uh, random knowledge. The Juicy Lucy originated in Minneapolis, Minnesota. There are two bars that fight over who has the privilege to call theirs the original. I assume we, we were talking about that at some point. I do not recall. It's a cookout answer that I gave for last week's lightning round question. I think you yeah. were. I think you gave David Dave a really hard time. Yeah, David was like, "I can't believe you're having mutant things for a barbecue," and you've already forgotten about it. Um, and we got an email that I'm not reading on air. Specifically said, "Please do not read this on air." Yeah, yeah. But, I just forwarded that to you. Don't read it on yeah. air. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying uh, we got an email. Don't That's read it. it on air. There's oh, been we, an email. It was sent to us. We have other emails. Oh, that is that it for our reviews? Yes. All right. So we got one said, don't read on air. Uh, we have succeeded in that. We got another from uh, Rob that says, uh, quick mention, there's a movie about the wellness center created by the creative cornflakes. The road to yeah, well, we no. have to watch this. We have to watch this movie. I think it's done. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry to everyone who we made I, insane. Gonna, 
Hot I'm not gonna, content. Uh, Road to Wellville. I'm not going to out the person who sent us an email saying, please do not read it on air. But having just read that email, now I'm really curious as to why this person does not want us to read this email on air. Because it's very benign and uh, amusing. And helpful. Mystery um, persists. Uh, Rob continues. Thank you for the podcast. It is, part, it is a part of my week. I especially like it when the timing works out and I create a podcast baton exchange. Moving from trial by content to Fitworth and Little Gold Men, or from Little Gold Men to Fitworth to trial by content. Rob. Ah. Uh, I like that. Yeah. And uh, here is uh, our second, second email, third email, but the only second one we're going to read. Uh, it says, uh, five stars, but they won't help with the algorithm. Hello. I'm a big fan of the podcast and listen every week. I found Dave through Storm of Spoilers and followed him over here, and even the trial by content, which I love, but I do desperately miss the off-season tour. Despite having an Android phone, I once downloaded iTunes on my PC, made an account, and left a review. I forgot, but I think I really dis- I forgot what it was, but I think I really disagreed with something David said. The character limit must mm. have messed up, because it didn't seem to quite go through, but hopefully the five stars I gave helped with the algorithm, unlike this email. I really enjoy that despite all working in the industry, you all get together to do this podcast for fun. I enjoy you all talking over each other, even when it drives me crazy, because it reminds me of conversations with my friends. I enjoy each host, even when I don't agree with them and can't wait for a new episode every week, even when I haven't watched the thing you're talking about. I'm going to try to make the next call-in show to ask you about this, but in case I don't, here's an idea for a quarter quill. Pick a movie from the year you all met as an excuse to tell us about the early years and how you became friends. Oh my god. Keep up the chaos and great work. Amish said. P.S. We need to hear some of you talk about Invincible Season 2 when it comes out and check in on Katie once she's played Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Thank you, Amish said, for the programming help. Uh, we will we will give it a look. What what are we on? Four thirty two. We got a little bit of a ways for the next quarter quill, but we will uh, try our best to remember it. If you want to help us yeah. algorithmically, log in to your Apple Podcast app and leave us a review there, regardless of what country you're in. If it's in the U.S. store, we will see it and read it on air. If not, you could send us. Uh, recommendations for movies that we uh, obviously had forgotten about or didn't know about in the first place and uh, any other emails uh, and reviews from across the world at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com that's the plug that's the that's how you get a hold of us Well, guys, my partner, girlfriend, Java, is out of town for the rest of the month. Uh, I am going to use this time period to start catching up on movies. I turned in the last copy of my book. I don't need to read it again. So this weekend, I'm definitely going to go check out the new Transformers as a lover of dumb movies and CGI. Uh, and so we can talk about it next week. But that does leave a Friday night slot open. And I want to ask you guys what you think I should see this weekend, my three co-hosts. I'm going to start with Patches. Doing this in our hands might be a mistake. We'll see how this goes. Uh, well, I mean, I don't, I'm not being held to anything. I just want informed opinions. <laughs> podcast for me, like we podcast for everybody else. Oh, it's um, just for you. I know. I'm going to start with Patches because he's seen the new Stephen King adaptation. And as we know, those could vary wildly in quality. So, Patches, what do I need to know about the Boogeyman, uh, beginning with if it's good or bad, and then what you thought about it overall? 
Uh, by the way, you setting this up as uh, us podcasting to you, like we podcast to everyone else. We're, I, I feel like I'm Marina Abramovic in the artist is present. It's like we're we're it's just you and me in a volume here. We're gonna have an emotional mm-hmm. connection as I just speak to you about the boogeyman. Uh, a movie yeah. I did not get a chance to talk about last week, but I'm not sure tons of people saw this. It was playing against Spider Verse. It was counter programming, um, but it still made a little. Money, I think it made like 20 million global. So Disney, uh, this was a Fox movie that was going straight to streaming. Pretty sure it was on the Hulu path for a long while. And I guess tested well enough. And movies like Barbarian and Smile did well enough that they were like, maybe we should just put all of our horror movies in theaters. What are we doing? Put this in theaters and make some money. Um, And they did. And I'm glad they did. Uh, because Rob Savage, interesting cat. He directed Host, that Zoom-based horror movie that's on Shutter. Yeah. Uh, that really blew up during the pandemic, obvious reasons. Uh, then he did Dash Cam, a movie that was shot entirely using a dash cam. And um, that movie pissed people off. That's about an angry lady who's abrasive and horrible and, and it, you know, an in-your-face movie shot with that her vault. Uh, perspective of the dash cam and, and no one liked it um so i was really interested to see the boogeyman uh an adaptation as you said dave of this stephen king short story uh the same name because it's it seemed kind of classic and, and simple for a guy who is really formal and always experimenting uh even in his short films i watched some of his short films and lead up to the boogeyman and he's still like one of them is a, a kind of a zombie riff with deaf uh actors and and so he's always playing with like what cinema can do and intersect with horror and try and twist it formally and and here was a movie that was at least by the trailers like very simple very baba duke but studio sheen um why why do you want to make this movie i was very curious and i think he just wanted to do i I think the challenge was can you make a classic horror movie um and the and the joy of this for me and maybe for you, Dave, is that um, it's it's not certainly hitting the Babadook heights of, hey, it's a family grieving their dead mother and they're all going through this trauma and, oh, they're also being haunted. You know, there's maybe the real monster is our grief or something. You know, it's it's not going to get that deep. There is a real monster lurking in the shadows. There is a real boogeyman. Um, and there's some pretty fun scares and set pieces playing with the darkness and you've probably seen the trailer with the little girl from obi-wan kenobi little princess leia is the little girl in the family in this movie and she keeps rolling her light ball into the dark corners and seeing the boogeyman it's pretty straightforward stuff but again this kind of buttoned up 70s throwback you know camera on wait what does the boogeyman look like the boogeyman is uh maybe an advanced version of the jj abrams monster <laughs> like this kind of overused spindly boogeyman or the you know this monster that i feel like we've maybe seen too much of i would not give this movie a lot of points for monster innovation but i would give it some points for just being a creature feature i was really surprised at like eh, we're not skimping on the the monster stuff it's it's monstrous and later in the movie it's kind of action packed. Like the monster gets fucking shot at the face at some point. And that's not a spoiler. It's just like, it's, it's 
it's alive. It's real. It could be shot um, and then come back and, and attack people and kill people. It's a real monster movie. And I feel like we don't get many of them in this era of the kind of barbarian extreme high concept stories. And, and we need to constantly be twisting and, and riffing on the genre. Whereas this is like just a straight down the middle hit. But I was what I was getting at, Dave, was like the, the Stephen King of it all. What I was surprised about is I kept thinking about the Dark Tower. I kept thinking about Todosh space and like mm -hmm. what's out there in the cosmic horror side of Stephen King. Um, and maybe this is a better Dark Tower movie than the Dark Tower movie we got. That, actually, let me say that with certainty. This is a better Dark Tower <laughs> movie than the Dark Tower movie we got. And it has nothing to do with the Dark Tower at all, except for the fact that like there's a whole other worlds out there. And when they cross your path, things get fucked up. Um and I think I brought a lot to the movie that maybe other people wouldn't. I think if you're a Stephen King fan, you'll probably like this more than other people who just want to, you know, get freaked out for a night at a horror movie. So I would I would re cautiously recommend The Boogeyman. I don't think it's like one of the great horror movies of the year. It's not barbarian. and We're going to be rethinking what horror is after you see it. This is this is like a 70s throwback. It is a Stephen King story through and through. But. I think you would bring kind of the King angle to it. And you might, might enjoy it a little more than other people. Yeah. Another Stephen King movie to be like, what I really find interesting about this is the toad ash space, which is my response to the mist. And people did not get what I was talking about. <laughs> um, has anybody seen the little mermaid? No, I'm glad we all decided. People seem to, to think it's not as terrible as they thought it would be. Why are none like, of us brave enough to see it? Reviews bad. Is brave the uh, <laughs> word you want to use here? But it made a ton we of value money. value our time. My friend. It didn't, uh, it didn't make a ton of money by their standards. It not by not. their standards, just by more than those reviews uh, would have suspected. Uh, but not enough probably to bend off Spider-Verse for longer than a week. All right. So Little Mermaid sounds like a catch it when it hits Disney Plus for me. David, you've seen uh, You Hurt My Feelings. I have also uh, seen You Hurt My Feelings. And Katie's seen it. Let's talk to yeah. Katie. So did Sundance. Katie. Uh, yeah, that's also when I saw it. It is a or, very good Nicole Hollis Center movie. Uh, Dave, what's your experience with Nicole Hollis Center? Uh, ad admire her, but can't off the top of my head say what this, how this would like, apply to you hurt my feelings. Oh, I it's mean, just like, like a, a small a, personal a small personal with... story about people in New York who have like pretty uh, Tony problems where Julie Louis-Dreyfus plays this novelist and she's been struggling with her latest book. Actually, she, I think she wrote a memoir. It was her, like her big bestseller. Or this one's a memoir. I can't remember. Um, and then she uh, accidentally overhears her husband, who's played by Tobias Menzies, uh, talking about how he doesn't like it. And he, meanwhile, is a therapist who's like not all that great at his job, uh, something that you learn by watching him in his couples therapy counseling sessions, including with Amber Tamlin and David Cross playing a, a real couple playing a couple who cannot stand each other, which is really funny. Um, they must live in my neighborhood. I see David Cross walking his uh, kid to school like every They do morning. seem like people who are just kind of around and they are uh, delightful in this movie. Um and her sister is played by Michaela Watkins. She is married to Aaron Moyad, a.k.a. Stewie from Succession, who is an actor who's not doing all that well. It's a bunch of people who are kind of like too old to still be failing at the jobs that they are trying to do. And mm. um, so there's some like grappling with it professionally, but there's a lot of like comedy of manners. Like, what do you say to somebody and how do you be nice? And they go visit their mom and she's like trying to give them clothes that they don't want. And 
um, everything like comes very neatly full circle, uh, which is something I always like in Nicole Holofson movie, like with someone gets something handed back to them that they don't expect and kind of uh, sheds light on the scenario that they've been in. Um, and I enjoyed it immensely. It's a small movie, but that doesn't mean that it is uh, slight or uh, dispensable or that it wouldn't be worth going to see on a big screen because you kind of feel like you've traveled somewhere after you um, spend time with all these characters. I did see mm. it on a small screen because I saw it at Virtual Sundance, but I think it would be a good movie to go out to. David, I agree think? with just about everything Katie said up to the idea that it's not a small, dispensable movie. I think it's this nice little sketch of an idea uh, that never really gets under the skin of of what these things mean. Um, I think it, it doesn't really dig into what it means to be a writer, what it means to be married to a writer. It's all just uh, fun ideas in contact, communication with each other. Every scene feels right and and solid and amusing and nicole hall of center has an incredible ear for these sort of things not every scene there's a whole plot about the son who works at like a pot dispenser which does not work at all in my estimation yeah mm. but um the uh yeah i mean it's it's it felt very lightweight to me i watched it uh sundance at home and that felt like the right place for it to be perfectly honest um, I would much but sooner... if you're spending a weekend by yourself and you're like, I want to spend time with human beings and not Autobots, uh, not a bad choice. then I would go and see a certain, and I know this is, you know, Dave really needs a lot of cajoling to go see a Spider-Man movie. He's not really invested in Spider-Man as a concept. Um, and, uh, we'll you know, be talking about that see anything else, but, uh, I would, I would sooner see that for a second time, but, uh, um, and maybe watch this on PVOD. Wow, but David no, support, advocating to go you. see the Marvel movie over the little <laughs> human indie it's picture. Technically it's only sort of just watch at home. Wow. Okay. Uh, wow. No, it is well, uh, supporting the cinema. Go go check in with the Kohlhoff Center, but um, only because Past Lives is not yet playing in Colorado. True. Yeah, Past Lives. Uh, for anyone wondering, we will get to Past Lives. Uh, it is not available for three of the four of us to see yet. Still we'll a part there. of our future life. Yeah, I got one uh, curveball, and I'm going to see if anybody's seen it. But it does is playing on Friday night here in Denver, and looks interesting. Has anybody heard of or seen Lynch Oz? Yes, I saw and reviewed it last year when it premiered at Tribeca. Um, what I is think you, that? It's, it's a, a documentary YouTube by the guy who made. I mean, it's by this. It's by the guy who makes the people all the glorified YouTube video issues, uh, yeah. video essays. He made the one about Alien. Uh, he made His another is, one. Uh, Alexandra um, O'Philippe. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, and this is more dismissive than I wanted to sound, but he's kind of like the poor man's um, Rodney Asher, in a way. Uh, Come on, that, they're doing two different things. The, Are uh, they? I mean, I, mean, I think Alexandra is doing... This wildly divorced from Room well, 237. I mean, I think they're doing two different things. I'm not saying that Alexandra's stuff is like high art. Uh, he is digging direct, drilling directly down into movies. You know, he did the Alien documentary. He did the Hitchcock Psycho documentary. Now he's doing Lynch and Oz. I think Ronnie Asher is is working on a totally different level. He's you know, if you you're not his, wrong. The nightmare. But I, I also like thought that I also thought that uh, you know the Kubrick film he made was a little bit more provocative and so a little bit more. Um, I don't know, a little bit more polished in a way. But uh, Lynch Oz is all about the. Um, relationship between the films of David Lynch and The Wizard of Oz, which has been a major, major touchstone for him across his entire life as both a person and an artist. Uh, there are 
it's like broken up into five segments, if I remember correctly. One of which is done by Amy Nicholson, who we love, know and love, oh. um, and is you know very eloquent about uh, the topic that she takes on here. Um, it is a it is a catnip for someone who cares about David Lynch and or The Wizard of Oz. Um, and a fun thing to think about. It's pretty disposable in its way. Uh, it is a glorified video essay, as Patches alluded to earlier. But uh, you may get you know. You may have a nice time sitting in the dark and thinking about that with no distractions for 80 some odd minutes. Yeah, it's somewhere where I can't be playing Legend of Zelda while it's happening, which is a big problem for me right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, I will tune in next week to figure out what I saw on Friday night. Ooh, between uh, those recommendations. All those recommendations sounded good, except I'm not going to see The Little Mermaid. So it's it's one of the other three. We didn't recommend it. On That's our fault. right. Uh, this is why. I definitely I have... don't recommend tweeting about it. Uh, <laughs> tweeting about a little mermaid David yeah. went viral here's my reasons. scuttle rap can I tweet that yes Um, I was almost late to this week's Zoom to uh, troll Matt Patches with my drink choices, as once again, I have a Baja Blast for our Fighting in the War Room recording <laughs> How series. How far away from Taco Bell are you? Uh, if, if there's not a lot of traffic, it's only like seven minutes, so I'm not still spending a lot a, of time here. That's a 14-minute round trip for the Baja Blast only. Yes, that's okay. true. That is, yeah. But it's you don't worth get anything it. else? Uh, no, I get food. Uh, okay. But I'm Just less dinner. excited about it. Yeah, but I'm less excited about it than I am about my ridiculous tasting soda. And it seems like uh, now is the lull in the uh, movie season slash television uh, break for us to talk about uh, summer foods and ice cream <laughs> as it has been written <laughs> into the dock. Katie, <laughs> what are we eating? I mean, I, I was just thinking about how we used eating? to have like, we used to have a whole whole spin-off podcast called The Sophisticates for just talking about nonsense. And now we're like, I don't know, guys. Should we talk about food? Let's I like how food. this is a spinoff of, or the, somehow The Sophisticates became a spinoff of this rather than the other way around. Uh-huh. Uh, there, yeah, but now we've all circled back around. It, wait, are, are we suggesting that there are summer foods to look forward to? Do you think that there's something that you only eat during the summer? that you yeah, like actively are hyped for like like what yeah like peaches or tomatoes peaches. or corn tomatoes are all year round strawberries I mean, strawberries are all thing. the time uh, yeah that do you is know how who... much better a tomato ta my god you live in new jersey there grows so many good tomatoes so I eat them? I, for what tomatoes are so disgusting but the peaches while, you can't get no, 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 disgusting yeah I, yes oh, yeah. david doesn't I like will, vegetables I, have we talked about that recently and tomatoes is the worst of them all. Well, I mean, the idea tomatoes. of biting into, off, biting is whatever, biting is into like a ketchup, fine. Tomatoes like, are fine, but the idea of biting into a tomato old? is vile. No, I'm just a sophisticated man of taste. I only do. Why do we equate? Why do we wait, wait a second? What's <laughs> all right, this? all right, all right. Why do we? Why do we equate? someone's I taste in fruits and vegetables with immaturity i because it's not just that you don't eat vegetables it's that you are you are pro ketchup I and anti tomato i love ketchup i want to be clear about that but i'm also pro tomato 
I, I, so wait, you are an adult. It's, it's, Pat, it's, do you really not know the difference between a like grocery store tomato year round and a proper do. seasonal tomato? I, okay. Of course. Well, I can. I know the joy of going to a farmer's market and getting a, a tomato in the summer and slice it up, get some salt and pepper on there, maybe some uh, yeah. basil, get some cheese. It's beauty. <laughs> but like, I'm just saying, you can achieve it off season. Peaches, you can't. Peaches, you need to get whenever you see them. During the summer. Yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. like you just have a preferred summer produce, which is completely fine. I like, I, I feel that way about corn. Like, oh, corn off-season. I mean, peaches are very specific. Uh, the Edgefield County, South Carolina, which is one county up from where I grew up, makes the best, or grows the best peaches in the world. Um, I I think it's an objective fact, and you can no only get them from there. No such thing as a good there. peach, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, we don't like fruit either? What do you eat, oh, David? Fruit, fruit's way worse than vegetables. Uh, well, I really started this to talk to you about ice cream. So uh, yeah, yeah, this is where we can all meet in the middle. And vegetable. But also, you are against the layers version of Talenti, which I'm horrified by after having gotten it for myself and finding it incredible. What's your deal? What do you got against I mean, layers? I, I think I've, I've given that rant on this podcast before. Um, <laughs> the, the, how layers is an affront against God. I mean, they've ruined a perfectly good. You got you to gotta show your work here a little bit better. <laughs> They've ruined a perfectly good brand by, first of all, the packaging on the layers. It's all this air into the package. And separating the ingredients in no way makes the ice cream flavors better. Most importantly, I would agree with they've, that. They've, they've taken my beloved uh, pumpkin pie ice cream and made it virtually impossible to find because they put it in part of the layers line, uh, but have not made it at all available, at least in the entire island of Brooklyn. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where Mario and Luigi live. That's right. It is. Uh, I wouldn't know. I didn't mm-hmm. see the movie, but I'm guessing. Uh, but <laughs> I, I just want to stand for I think like the third summer in a row for Nuna's Nuna's ice cream. It's a uh, small, independently owned Korean American ice cream run out of Brooklyn. They're, they have one store in Sunset Park. I've never made the pilgrimage there myself, but one day I would love to. I order off their website. You can find them in several New York markets and bodegas. But to get the full range of their flavors, which are spec. Spectacular. You have to go to their website. Unfortunately, they are often sold out of the really, really, really good shit um, because they make them in small batches and they are switching to a new, and I cannot sadly pronounce this word, um, anyone who speaks Korean out there, please prepare to cringe. Uh, but they, their best flavor, to my mind, is the Macchioli, Macchioli Blues, which is a blue uh, alcohol-infused... Um, you know, it's based off of Korean alcohol. Uh, it's insane. They say it's going to be back in spring 2023. It's now basically summer. Nowhere to be found. Fuck you, Nunas. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> their, their taro, their taro flavored ice cream. It's, it's like this bright purple. Uh, it's also sold out at the moment. It wasn't a couple weeks ago. Amazing. Their pandan, uh, which were a contestant on the most recent season of Great British Break Off, uses an ingredient all the time. Um, that woman from Malaysia. Uh, Pandan, their Pandan ice cream is so fucking good. Um, and the toasted rice is sort of their ver- yeah, version fruit. of vanilla. Um. Dude, there are so many fruits, there are so many liquors and greens in this. Where, it's do, like where, a do, whole you, where do you stand pyramid. on popsicles? I know you're an ice cream fan, but for, for summer, mm. I feel like you need to shoot higher and go popsicle because you can't be. Yeah, you need some like basic frozen time. ice. Yeah. Um, you, you know, fans? I think uh, there's no ice, there is no popsicle on earth that delivers. The kind of satisfaction that a good ice cream can. They are, uh, in a pinch, wonderful substitutes, especially for children. 
Um, you know, if you want to be little people for their culinary taste, I think I would start with the popsicle and not because they <laughs> recognize that biting into a tomato is disgusting. Um, but uh, I do remember when I was a kid that my mom would take me after school to the ice cream truck to get the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ice cream. Oh, yeah. Pop, mm-hmm. the popsicles. Those <laughs> things were fucking good. I haven't had those in a minute, but I Didn't remember Didn't those look like the, uh, the Spider-Man they popsicle sure that shows up at the beginning of the first oh. Spider-Verse where it's misshapen and uh, oh, weird looking? it is Chasing Miles in the second Spider-Verse, too. That popsicle <laughs> is in both Spider-Verses. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. We'll get there. David, uh, I want to say I sympathize with you on the Talenti thing because sweet tarts have basically phased out the original sweet tarts that come in like the tube and are like those little circles mm, that are kind of like crumbly, mm, which I love. What? They're the only kind of sweet tarts I like. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I understand that they're not a popular when, like, choice. They're like the Necco wafers of the 90s. When a company that is owned by a larger conglomerate, as Talenti is, decides for whatever you know financially motivated reasons to like swap out one line one product line for another uh it usually ends in heartbreak i feel betrayed the, the i feel like they've left me behind i'm a loyal customer the are you talking about smarties no like the sweet tarts like a like a roll of sweet tarts this is, they like, they're don't, not you chewy and anymore? they're not a rope yeah, they're yeah, yeah, really yeah, hard to find now if you're ever looking box, for them yeah. They come. They come in a box. Well, box is fine. It's more about like you get the chewy kind or the ropes, the or ropes. all of these other different variations on them. Like they're mostly chewy, is what you see, mm. uh, and they're disgusting. I only want the original you kind. They're, kind of, they're a little chalky, but that's what I like about them. They're my best driving snack to keep me awake. And like they're so hard to find in gas stations these days. So now when I find them, I buy like four of them. I've yeah. become that person. I'm going to yeah. be like should David I... bulk ordering candy online. Well, oh, man. I mean, another great, another great move on my part. But should I, um, <laughs> uh, you know, since I'm not working this month, I'm home with the baby. Should I take a video trip uh, to the one Nuna's store in Sunset Park with my baby and yeah. uh, make a little vlog for, <laughs> yeah. for our site? She's not I would love she's to see not yes. ice cream yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, David becomes I wonder, a food but I wonder if their store, what I'm, trying, like, what I'm currently looking into is whether or not their their one physical location is like a a store where they have product for sale or if it's just like their headquarters and office i would hate to go all the way out there and be like knocking on that would still be really funny if you just interrupted these people in their office (laughs) (laughs) what the eric andre let me in meme is missing is having a baby (laughs) strapped to the front of him so i think you should definitely do it Patches, what's something delicious you've eaten recently? We had Baja Blast. We had <laughs> this fancy ice cream. Yes, I did it. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm. Uh, is the season for me for bottled margarita, where that I can buy Ooh. at Costco or now my local liquor store is selling. You know, pre it's pre mixed. It's technically like agave wine. It's not tequila. That sounds that sounds gross. It's not gross. It's shockingly successful that you could put the margarita in a bottle and sell it at Costco and you can crack it open and keep it in your fridge for as long as it lasts. Um, but it's a, it's a good party accessory. It's a good barbecue standby. And it's good uh, if you're like me and you want to be drinking an adult Baja Blast at any given day in the week. <laughs> I mean, um, it's probably not that summer. different. They have released uh, four different flavors of hard Baja Blast that I've ever gotten to. Are you serious? Yes. Wow. Wait, but not, I thought you can't buy Baja Blast in stores, but you, 
Can you buy hard Baja have, Blast at first? Yes, they have canned wow. hard Baja Blast uh, as a, a special summer 2023 four-pack uh, with different Baja Blast flavors I've never had before. I was going to say, Baja Blast, probably good mixer. If, if you can stomach Baja Blast anyway, you could probably throw <laughs> some tequila in that. And you should slushy oh, I think Baja gin. Blast. I think gin, gin in a slushy mm. Baja Blast would be Ooh. great. That's a summer cocktail. It's got, like, we might need to be doing some taste testing. Game. Well, I'll, if, how... it's, if it's booze drinking and Baja Blast, I will do that experiment Our for all of us. Summers sound diabetic, so I wish us the best. Yep. <laughs> Just eat a tomato. Uh, it is a fruit David, and a vegetable, please, and it's eat, good for you. Eat your vegetables. Please eat something. Eat, yeah. How do you get your child tomato. to eat his vegetables if uh, you want oh, to eat he, loves, he loves vegetables. He's got no problem eating vegetables. Yeah, my kids won't eat vegetables. Swap places. in your house. Mm-hmm. Stepped out of my zone. My zone. I had to get out of the lung and figure it out on my own. My own. And I know what I really want now. Can't stop me, can't break me. But don't kill me, go make me. Shoot for the stars, don't say no And now I see clearly HD. Gotta go hard, gotta go hard. I ain't got time to waste. I ain't got time. I gotta go high, gotta go high. I gotta elevate. I gotta elevate. They wanna fight. They wanna fight. So back. In ye old 2018, an animated movie came out called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which uh, introduced the mainstream audiences to the idea of multiversal Spider-Man. The message of that movie was sort of, anyone could wear the mask. We got introduced to an animated version of Miles Morales. He is the Brooklyn, Puerto Rican, black Spider-Man who was introduced uh, earlier on in the century uh, as a uh, sort of new, refreshed version of the character. And Marvel Comics had such a success with it, they ended up doing it with lots of other characters that we now recognize in their new versions. But I think more importantly, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse um, was an important leap out of how big studios do uh, computer-generated animation uh, we, we we live in a world where companies like Blue Sky, who did the Mario movie, and uh, the Minions, and then I check even, you on that one. Uh, That's Illumination did. Mario. Illumination. Blue Sky is out of business. Sadly, yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Closed after the Disney acquisition of Fox. Right. Sorry, Illumination, who does uh the the round uh non textured, I would say, uh but very uh dynamic circles was would how I describe their animation. Uh, Disney's been having a problem that I think I saw back on Tumblr that it seems like a lot of their characters, no matter what ethnic group or age, uh, all start with a very similar rounded face and they just sort of mold that into five or six different looks. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider- uh, Into the Spider-Verse uh, changed that where our 3D uh, models were being meshed together with 2D effects in uh, new computerized code that ultimately looked like artists were capable of drawing on each individual frame to uh, create outlines and uh, exclamation text uh, that otherwise would have been stylistically weird in mainstream animation. Uh, you know what this looks like now because you have, uh, this has been adapted into things like, uh, what was it, the bad guys about the animals mm -hmm. used a very similar system. Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots. Uh, the upcoming uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is going hard in that direction. But I saw the trailer for that before uh, before Spider-Verse the other day, and I thought it looked fucking rad. I mean, yeah, it does look good. Ninja Turtles looks good. 
Trent Wait, Reznor's doing like, the score for it. So I like listen to what you said about why it looks differently, but like, what is like the simplest explanation for why? Like, it just looks drawn, but there's a whole algorithm that you have to use to do that. There's a whole bunch of different tools, but how 3D animation was working for a long time is you would create a character model. That model would be rigged, uh, which is basically making it like a puppet, a, a puppet. And then yeah. the animator would be able to take that puppet and do all the poses in motion to make it work. Uh, this one has an additional step uh, that the animator can do, which is sort of like taking the camera angle and lighting into account. They could add 2D elements on top of that puppet that could okay. either stick to the model or disappear as it moves into like different lighting situations. That actually is really helpful. Or whatnot. Okay. Um, that's how Into the Spider-Verse works. Can I, I just quick jump in and say that the words rig and puppet have been ruined by Trump for me? I'm just like, I can't, I don't even know what you're talking Ugh. about now. I mean, don't, don't let it's him, rigged, don't let him do the that. the puppet, you're the puppet? Sorry, Spider-Verse, back to Spider-Verse. Back. I mean, rigging is like a whole, uh, part, uh, a whole, <laughs> you could have a whole career in animation just being really good at rigging puppets. So I apologize to all no, the riggers out there for, for Mad Patches. Uh, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is the second installment in what is going to be a Spider-Verse trilogy. This one ends on a cliffhanger. I knew going in. Certainly Some does. people apparently don't. Uh, so that's a little service journalism there. Uh, but they have amplified the amount of animation styles uh, because now instead of people coming to Miles Morales, various spider people coming to Miles Morales, Miles Morales, as the title suggests, goes into the Spider-Verse himself and meets the Spider Society, led by Oscar Isaac-voiced Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, who has grouped together all the Spider-People to stop multiversal anomalies, uh, including one called The Spot, played by Jason Schwartzman in this movie, voiced by Jason Schwartzman in this movie, uh, who is absorbing multiversal particles from different particle reactors, and uh, is going to take out his revenge on Spider-Man as we learn, Miles Morales Spider-Man, as we learn he was created during the first movie. That's about halfway into the plot. Uh, I, we should spoil it, but we don't have to right now. Yeah, we could, we'll bring a spoiler gong when we move past that. I do want to say as a way of starting out, uh, this movie m met my expectations as a story. I think it's a really smart pivot from anyone could wear the mask uh, to specifically what makes you know a hero more than just a spider-man uh but ultimately this is one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen and i've never wanted really i maybe have wanted to frame by frame some sequences immediately after i saw a movie in theaters i've never wanted to frame by frame an entire movie as badly as i wanted to frame by frame across the spider-verse uh after i saw it katie how did uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse play with you and yours? Uh, yeah, I took both of my kids to see uh, Across the Spider-Verse, which uh, was a great idea. They really liked it. Uh, it was long. It's a long movie, uh, especially for a four-year-old, which I knew. Two going hours into and 20 it. minutes. It is, the, it is the longest animated American film ever released in theaters. Which is not a surprise like because animation, I mean, and it also like they what was delayed, what, like two years um, as they would finish it up and you see the movie and you fully understand why. Um, I think it, I don't want to say it didn't meet my expectations story wise. I agree with everything Dave said about it being beautiful. And I understand like 10% of what makes it as beautiful as it is. Um, and it's dazzling in the action sequences until maybe the last one. 
um, are really exciting on like a visceral, not even that the animation is beautiful, but, but that the action is so well executed. And I think the first one did that too. Um, but story, like there's a lot going on in this movie. There's a lot to follow. And I think it like, it didn't have the emotional hit of the first one, I think because it is so busy and not busy by like the Marvel standards that have kind of like really worn us out. Like Miles is clear. Gwen is clear. Even like Miguel as he becomes the bad guy is clear. Um, but it has to do a lot of bouncing around. It has to introduce a lot of things um, like people kind of come and go spots in the story and then he's gone. And then Daniel Kaluuya as spider punk kind of comes and goes, but kind of before you realize he's been there. I also only understood about 40% of what he said um, because of his accent. That might be also a me problem. Um, and we watched the first Spider-Verse the next day after we went to see it. And the the simplicity of that one, like the way that it's a pretty straightforward story combined with that dazzling animation um, works so well. And I don't think, I don't know if a sequel could have that really potent combo. I think it does a pretty great job with expanding itself and trying to introduce all these things. And the cliffhanger didn't bother me, but you know, it might not be quite as amazing an achievement as the first one, which I don't think is a huge knock on it. That's fair. I, dis- I disagree. Well, <laughs> then, mean, now's your time, David. Throw down, David. Uh, I thought this was like a levitational experience. I mean, in fairness, I had a very large margarita uh, as the Baja Baja were playing. Margarita. Uh, it was we're sadly talking. not. Um, it was a regular <laughs> margarita. And, you know, my wife and I were uh, out together with uh, neither of our kids with us um, so I was primed for a good time but uh, I really really liked the previous Spider-Verse movie you can find my review online um, it didn't stick with me all that long but I, I was happy that it won the New York Film Critics Circle Award that year I was happy that it won the Oscar I was a, you know I thought it was a top flight superhero movie as far as these things go I thought you know just from the, the first 20 minutes of across the Spider-Verse alone it was kind of transcendent I mean I, I the story of any of these movies really only moves the needle for me so much. Um, and yes, I felt, you know, I feel like it, this movie does struggle a little bit to tell a complete story while also clearly being the first half of a larger one. I do think that there is a little bit of a letdown in its final 25 minutes or so as it downshifts into more setup um, rather than ending on, you know, the kind of euphoric high that it's been trading on for the previous 95 or 100 minutes. But like this movie is shot out of a cannon. Every frame, as Dave was saying, is so meticulously picked over, so vibrant, so alive, um, so many ideas happening and the screenplay and the jokes that are going by. The character details are just as fast and furious. Um, and, I, you know, by the time that they were in the Guggenheim heist where there were mini Jeff Coons inside of big Jeff Coons, <laughs> they were like, um, <laughs> like such a great detail. Um, that was the levitational I, part of the movie for me. That that Guggenheim fight is I mean, I, I can't remember. And I just came back from can of all the places. Banksy like joke the last time that I was just like, so it's a repeated body, Banksy joke. It's in the first one too. Like full body vibrating, just like high off of how exciting what I was seeing was, and that excitement was sustained really only dipped when they really drill into the character stuff and slow down. I think even the character stuff tends to work better. Like the relationship between Miles and Gwen, when things are moving and the action's happening, I think when the movie slows down to really focus in on his relationship with his parents, um, I think the, the momentum dips a little bit, but then they go to like Mumbatton and uh it is electric and when they go into the cowboy bebop land uh where oscar isaac and all the other spider-men oh, live I'm like, what? and are racing up the elevator <laughs> okay. um, is that where the space I elevator mean, is at the end okay yes 
uh, I was just like, this is so fucking cool. Every every beat is hitting. Every joke is landing. They've even gotten me to be mildly amused at the sight of a live action Donald Glover, even though I did not at all get the reference because I have absolutely no memory of, you know, I still I like six hours ago. I knew why Donald Glover was in there. Um, and now I no <laughs> He's longer just retain being, that information. Uh... I guess maybe that was spoiler gong territory. No, because he was, um, it's not just that he was being entertained to be Spider-Man, right, Dave? Like, there was some other, like, he played. He's that character in Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, I didn't Um, know that. Right. And, uh, but, like, I I cared about the characters as far as the movie needed me to. Um, I, like Miles, I do think he's a bit underdeveloped, but I really, I really like the idea of him sort of being an imposter in the greater Spider-Man universe when like spoiler alert we learn that you know he was not meant to be it's this like anti-canonical thing that he was bitten by a spider i think you know we've seen so many of these movies really starting with with uh, most memorably for me with the last jedi where they have these meta commentaries where they're interpolating the franchise's place in this, this film's place in its overall franchise and what it means in storytelling um and it's kind of been done to death but it's never at least not since the last jedi been done as satisfyingly as it's done here um, and the idea of a canon that is you know, the major life events that connect all these various spider people and um, how Miles' experience plays into disrupting that and the idea that he can sort of chart his own path. Um, I thought that all played really well. I, but I was just like high for most of this movie. I just thought it was like you're making so me fucking envious electric of you. and confident. I, I wish I um, felt this way at all while and watching the movie. I, I am like counting down the days until the next movie, which is unfortunate because i'm 99 percent certain it is going to be delayed past its uh march 2024 release date because they don't seem to be uh, at all close to finishing it but we'll see patches yeah i don't i'm not i did not have a similar experience I, and daniel I, pemberton patches you love daniel pemberton. oh i thought he I th- he definitely crushed it i mean look i'm i'm with you I thought the first like 10 or 15 minutes would however much time they dedicate to Gwen and kind of her movie um, in the beginning of this was it really blew me away. Like, I love how this movie starts and I love that every cut to a different angle in in talkie scenes is expressing a totally new animated vantage point and uh, form of expression. Like it, it's as everyone is saying, pushing the limits every second. Um but I thought the storytelling was catastrophic in this. It really balanced oh. it out for me. Like this is kind of a mid-tier movie because I think the highs are so high from the animation and the music. I, I I thought even the soundtrack, like the way that they're integrating the kind of music cues. I know that they had the um the sunflower song in the first movie, and that just had like a big <laughs> sequence <laughs> built around it. But here I thought the the music was really integrated and and Pemberton's kind of like wrapping it all up. It really felt woven in a way that the first movie didn't. And I thought it was uh, epic, I guess, to use an overused word. But um, I like as soon as Gwen's story was over, this movie's just spinning out of control for me. I thought it was really slow and boring when Miles is like dealing with his family stuff. It felt super repetitive. I feel like we saw the same scenes over and over again about like scolding miles for being late it's so cookie cutter his problems with his parents and his place in the world i just it didn't go deep enough in any direction i don't know who miguel is and i get we'll we'll get there later but like i just it's not based in anything it's based in movie logic to the point where we're talking about canonical events 
and I'm supposed to be emotional about seeing a bunch of Peters hunched over Uncle Ben's or Miles's hunched over their dad. Um, I don't know. I'm just like, I didn't find this emotional at all, except for Gwen and her father, which is basically the beginning and the end of the movie and that journey. I wanted yeah. more Gwen or more Miles and Gwen. They're separated by the multiverse wow. and then they splice back in. And I didn't even find the by the time Miles is on his multiversal adventure here and being chased by not only Miguel, but like hundreds of spider people. I didn't find that thrilling at all. There's just no stakes oh my God. to this movie. That sequence. that cha- It's not fun. The, the chasing is great. When they get on the space elevator is where I was kind of like, this That's, feels like mush, like oh, a regular Marvel movie. Yes, exactly. Oh, really? I felt the same I way. Was, I thought that that action set piece was absolutely When electric. he's swinging I through the building and, and, you know, going through all the traps, that's fun. But when they're, when he, Miguel is chasing him up the elevator. I, oh, that yeah. really, really so felt to me like the best, like the best uh, Cowboy Bebop scene I've seen since, uh, you know, 2005, <laughs> whenever that movie came out. Um, it was, that uh, Cowboy Bebop. Wow, that is, I, I don't know. I, I didn't find I, any of the action on par with, with Bebop in terms of just like. I mean, it's very different, but the, it's the design of the space and there's so much animation going on, but I often felt like the movie may have been overcompensating with style at a certain point to make up for the just complete lack of of oh, character I mean, and and like uh, of character momentum there's no stakes to the action I, I have, here i don't i i mean i don't agree don't with care. that but i also <laughs> you I don't also care about don't that part. care right exactly like it is you it is such up. a like a euphoric visceral experience uh you know this this movie could have had the plot of like a fucking Mark Webb Spider Man movie, and I, I probably don't, I don't think that's thought true. it was fantastic. <laughs> but and maybe it did uh, actually. But but anyway, I love the idea of all the various incarnations of these legitimate spider people chasing him, and he is sort of you know on his own, having having to do his own thing, luring them uh, to this one place so that he can go a different way. Um, I mean, I thought that's a really nice bit of action choreography that dovetails with the themes the movie's trading in it, it worked with beautifully been like i just thought everything was humming so well um and i also thought that like you know for a villain who only has a few minutes of screen time and starts as uh you know pointedly as such a joke i thought that the spot was kind of frightening in his way and super scary. even though i mean all we know about him is that in he theory. like wants you know more power i mean it's not a particularly well fleshed out character but like um every time he appears on screen. I mean, it felt like a genuine threat. And I think that is what it needs to accomplish in order to cast a shadow over. I love that Jason Schwartzman voiced him like that. Like he was really good. He's having a big, he's having a big June between this and asteroid city. No, the Jason Schwartzman. It's not that he ever really went away. Again, Um, I think the spot, the spot character excels. I mean, Schwartzman is really funny. And to your point, like they set him up as a goofball trying to steal money from an ATM using his spots and totally failing. And it could just be the joke ends there, but I think they use the animation. He could be the, could be the villain of the week. That's he what they call the him. Of the week. Um, but they use the animation, the animation to, thrilling. to make, to strike fear. Like it's a visual and, terror and it, and he becomes really frightening as he's breaking open the multiverse and ruining reality I mean, and, and making everything black and wrong, white. But like, was the pre was into the Spider Verse anywhere near this visually maximalist and and exciting? Because I remember it being, you know, v- dazzling and certainly a very refreshing change of pace um, for animation for superhero movies, etc. But I don't remember being as bowled over as I was watching Across the Spider Verse. 
Yeah, this uh, one goes way, way further, I think. Yeah, so the last one introduced like a world that we were in the whole time, and the sort of animation tweaks came from the multiversal Spider-Man who came into that world. Right, and so this and, is like, just inverts that because we're going, you know, we're, we're it's Peter Parker going, or rather Miles Morales going, you know, out of his universe right. into others. And They're maybe this is a time to, to like bring a spoiler gong here. But it's supposed to, the, the reason we spend so much time in that those slow parts is to uh, eat both with Miles' parents and with uh, Miles and Gwen having their upside down uh, flirting conversation. Is in the most to, beautiful building in Brooklyn, which I love. I was so excited mm-hmm. to see the Williamsburg Bank building. Is to visually anchor you uh, so you recognize that world. So when he gets transported back to another world at the end of the movie, you're supposed to immediately notice that something's wrong just by the visual look of it. So each world... Mm has different visual rules. Uh, the most extreme one uh, by lots of research and articles that have been done, very good one on Polygon.com, is Spider-Punk, who is yeah. breaking everything I would say about animation. So, like, I, I don't know how you have that thing on model. Different parts have been moves in different frame rates. Uh, he has a... His guitar always has a cutout around it uh, that seems to stay 2D even when he's rotating. It's uh, difficult to look at him uh, in the best type of way, just in how many things are happening simultaneously. But he's a good example of like there are fewer rules governing the animation in this movie than there were uh, in Into the Spider-Verse. But I guess looping back a little bit to spoiler conversation. um, What I really like about this movie is because it's overstuffed, it doesn't need to do any narrative sleight of hands uh so when we get a early flashback from the spot uh where miles has a vision of the future and he's trying to put things together we actually see the spider 42 crawling towards uh miles with uh braids in his hair which comes back and later on at the end of the second act when he's getting transported back to a world it actually comes up on the screen like you know universe 42 so it's not like they're trying to hide the twist, even though it is kind of supposed to be twisty. Um, I just love the idea of that because that feels much more like uh, the melding between what I like about comics and what I like about animation is animation has speed and motion, which I appreciate, but part of what the power of comics and the reason why it's been able to burn through so much continuity over 70, 80 years um is because the density of information that requires this comes the closest uh to me in terms of cinema being able to take on that density but also stay somewhat on the rails i don't completely disagree with patches but i also am going to say that whole middle part was made for me because when i see bagman spider-man i know bagman spider-man's backstory that's not even the middle part that's not the middle what's bagman spider-man He's the oh, he's he Spider-Man with the bag four, over his right? head. Oh, uh, yeah, he's a he's a Fantastic Four one. Just another spider. Uh, or Ben sure. Riley, who's voiced by uh, I got, Andy I, Samberg. I wanted to ask you about Ben Ben Riley, Dave, because I get yeah. well. Here's the thing. Okay, Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, is in this movie. Katie, I don't know if you even noticed, even though he gets multiple, he gets a whole bit no. 
he gets a whole bit later I have honestly been stuck on this because I saw Andy Samberg in the credits. And I was like, I don't remember there being a character voice by Andy Samberg. And then I have looked who, up pictures of Ben Riley. Yeah, I do okay. not remember seeing him in this movie. Is he in this movie? Yes, and he gets yeah, like he a is. whole moment in the in the final bit where Miles is in the new part, new reality, and he's like swinging down into the alley and be like, oh, uh, there's dark shadows in here. Oh, there's I'll go over here and look at this part of the alley. Like, there's a whole bit about. Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider. That doesn't make any sense because it's like, who is this character? What is his? I cannot place him in the, the movie. That is like at you all. need to know. That is the... I know if you know, you know. But if you don't know, right. sure. it's just more stuff thrown at the screen. And and look, I and know for the I most. I, but I I also think it's all underbaked. Like it's still excessive to the point where you're you're Dave. You're saying it's zipping through all this continuity and it's not sleight of hand, but I did on some level it is sleight of hand. It's just like, if you throw enough at the screen, you don't need to explain anything, but I see Cy- spider punk as both like an incredible success story for animation. This like vivid creation that I feel like I've, I'm seeing something I've never seen before. And yet I don't understand this character at all. And there's like no down moment to learn who he is or what he cares about or like why he would be part of this organization and why are all the spiders here? Why are they doing this? Like what is going on in this movie? And this movie doesn't have to explain it because it's going to bowl you over with animation. But I felt exhausted by the end and kind of irked that I don't know anything about anything. Uh, and and Miles, <laughs> I'm as confused as Miles, I guess. But I just watched a whole two hour, 20 minute movie. I should not be this confused. I mean, I it would, turns you would, into the villain. Go ahead, go, Katie. Sorry. I would, I would argue that they do a good job for the most part of avoiding the if you know, you know stuff. Like, I there were plenty of things like with Spider Punk or any of the spiders who are running around the thing being like, oh, this is probably a thing I don't get, but it doesn't matter. I think Ben Riley is an example of something that like was so invisible to me because I couldn't grab onto oh, it. Yeah, like Spider Punk, I don't feel like I knew him as a character, but I got it. Like, I the, I was not saying there being like there is something I'm missing. But if he's gonna but be on the team, if they're gonna be like. Friend. Did they get that moments they, to become friends well, in this movie? Well, he's like a cool, they, they he's a cool guy, <laughs> and he's voiced by cool Daniel Kaluuya, and like he says, "fuck the system" and leaves. I don't know. I feel like I get get what he was doing. Fair enough. The I mean, ho- Spider Punk. I don't understand what sort of backstory you're missing here. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's too, uh, pretty self-explanatory. I, I mean, more. he has a he has a great spinoff comic too. If that motivates you, patches. But um, I the the fun thing is if you take this movie at face value you actually get automatically put on Miguel O'Hara's side because what it does is it takes people like me that started reading the comics in the early 90s that have been, you know, alive for Spider-Man on screen and digesting it. Uh, It turns me into the villain because I've always been like, this part was my Spider-Man, this part's not my Spider-Man. And what Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is saying is you could watch this movie and know that each of these spider people were bitten by a radioactive spider, their uncle or aunt died, and a police captain near them sacrificed themselves. And that means that's the base backstory for ev- all of them. And so there's nothing really in this movie that requires you to go beyond that backstory. And that's the box that they narratively want to put you in because that's the box Miles has to break out of in the third movie. It's like, yeah, anyone could wear the mask. But what if anyone could wears the mask turns you into a series of steps that you absolutely have to take? Does that even mean that you're a hero anymore if you're just acquiescing to the fans, to fate? Sort of what David mm. David was saying about The Last Jedi. That's what this can do, I think, if you think about it. 
I don't think it's like immediately on the surface because that would take more not action time, which this movie uh, does, I think, use a lot in the, the soft middle where it's just like, we're going to let people have a conversation and not do any spider stuff. Um, but I, I do think it all kind of comes together as a successful middle part because of that question it's asking. So especially when, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and starting next week, the DC Universe are like multiverse. You all know what multiverse is. Now they've managed to pivot from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse from being like, here's the multiverse before everybody else to this movie where it's like your concept of what you think the multiverse is, is wrong. You don't want to see John Krasinski as, you know, Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, because that is a man whose story you already know, because you've seen it in two failed Fantastic Four franchises. It's a way of turning what I thought was the strength of the multiverse and showing that there's like an extreme weakness in it, in like this uh, adherence to canon that uh, the Marvel Universe has sort of taught people to look for is actually kind of uh bastardizing the capability of us telling powerful stories with these icons it's like a very interesting read every, so they're everyone, ahead of the curve on the marvel backlash these movies saw it coming yeah or reacting to it i it's, yeah. it's like so there's a part in this movie that introduces like a tree of life that looks very marvel uh that i made me think uh about and then there's a big focus on the bagel and post everything everywhere all at once. I'm wondering if they were able to just sort of retcon the bagel into their multiverse story to sort of try to catch all multiverse stories. I'm, what I'm in God's name are you talking about? I have no idea yeah, what I you're don't understand. I don't understand the bagel <laughs> thing. So, uh, the spot is the scientist who got hit with the bagel in the first Into the Spider-Verse. Okay, yes. So... And they bring it up in this time, and then when he's in his void, there's a little bagel floating around. So they've they've linked the bagel to the spot <laughs> uh, in a very. Wait, he literally got hit by a bagel. Yeah, like, you in see the... it again in this movie. I had to take Sam to the bathroom in the, when they did the spot thing, so oh, I no. missed out. Oh yeah, in the Pivotal first movie, uh, Peter Parker and Miles are stealing a computer from Alchemex, uh -huh, and as they're that. running away, they they throw a bagel oh, over the yeah. shit. And it hits the guy, and the text says "bagel," like uh, "pow," but except it uh -huh. says "bagel." It turns out that was the scientist character that becomes uh, the spot in this movie. See? This is what so I miss by has, taking my kids to this movie. And so he also sucks a bagel in in the bodega very early on in the movie. And when he's in his little multiverse space, you can see a little bagel. So the the bagel has been linked to him again. Maybe just a weird joke that uh, has come up, Probably. or they're like they're listening to it as they animate. And go on because I know this movie, I think, rushed its first scene like two months before it uh, debuted. So, like, two months ago, they were still, uh, you know, doing a new scene and breaking it down in animatics to get it final animated. And that's obscenely fast uh, for a movie of this scale. So, it seems like they're kind of fluid, uh, which makes this, I don't know, more impressive to me as a piece of animation. But what I'm hearing is. Here. Yeah, maybe too much movie. Katie, did, was Charlie okay with it? He's like yeah. a he's he's cut his teeth on the avatars and the I Titanic, know he so. was. It's weird to me that he understands what a multiverse is. Like I kind of can't get over how much we've been like, like that has just become that is what stories are. 
Um, I mean, when I try to get to pin to pin him down on something, I think there's plenty he didn't understand. Like I would lean over to him and ask him if he understood what was going on, and he would say no. And I'd be like, you know what? We're just gonna keep going because this movie encourages that in you, right? Like it's gonna dazzle you with something new. The thing that they both loved, they hear about so consistently. Sad. Is that Sorry. shot where the, in the spider chase where the one Spider-Man's holding onto the webs over a gorge and Miles runs over him and then they, all the other ones go on them like straight up Looney Tunes joke. Mm. Um, they loved it. They loved that part. And then when we watched the first one and they were introduced to Spider-Ham, what incredible restraint for them to not have Spider-Ham in this movie. Like the breakout <laughs> star, like as a, a real... I, I, find, I found it a little disappointing, not specifically the lack of, of Spider-Ham, but like this movie needed some funny parts like more jokes i just didn't really? i thought it was, was so dry hilarious. and it's like missing what i like oh, i like the team dynamic of the first movie i just didn't get it this time it, not oh funny. i was laughing so hard i thought it was so funny no there's definitely good jokes in here there's Maybe a lot none more as physical good as humor the, uh... as you were saying there's there's a lot more cartooning in this movie i really appreciated the like 2D skeletons on display. Uh, you know, I can't, as Katie said, can't even begin to describe, like, am I watching 2D animation? Am I watching 3D animation? It all falls away. I'm, like, watching cartooning. And I never feel that way watching animated movies, even, like, we were praising Puss in Boots at the beginning of the year. Like, I don't feel that way. And that movie is so indebted to in, into the Spider-Verse. Like, this is, again, we're yeah. on a totally different level. We're coming back to, like, the Tex Avery era Looney Tunes. There's real cartooning on display here, and that that is where I found comedic joy. But like, not in character, and not in voice work, and not in team play, uh, which is where I found a lot of joy in the first movie. If you could, you want you want more of a team. I mean, the team is coming together at the end of this movie, so you get the sense that that's what the next one is going a to be. I do, movie. I do. I do mean, think I just, it didn't feel that heavy either. Like it didn't feel like anything. I it was so strange, kind of floating through this non dramatic, non comedic experience. Just lots of stuff in this movie. I had I felt nothing, and that is the worst feeling. That makes me feel sad for you. That yeah. Not even when the cop quit being a cop because he loved his daughter. That that was like oh, a cheer wait, moment of the Dave, year for me. I wanted to ask you about this because apparently some maniacs on Twitter are being like, this movie is pure copaganda. I cannot believe it, which well, makes the, me wonder. Uh, good, like, one of the critics they... for RogerEbert.com said that, actually, yes. Uh, as someone who loves Spider-Man and hates the police, uh, is Spider-Verse copaganda, Dave? Uh, no. I mean, it's not as bad as, like, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, the first Mark Webb one, uh, or the first in Spider, uh, Spider Insomniac video, Spider-Man Insomniac video game, where it's like, the police control your marker towers, so you gotta work with them. There have been, uh, more pro-cop, uh, Spider-People than this. What I think is really interesting about this one is, I see where that critic was coming from because she's talking about when Gwen Stacy's talking to her dad and doesn't know that he's quit and she's like I know you know if you're not wearing the badge somebody else will and it'll be a bad person and I'm like that's a false dichotomy that police tell each other when they wake up <laughs> uh, but the result of it is he quits he chooses his family and not mm -hmm. jailing vigilantes uh, over being a police officer and it saves his life so that's, I think, is a uh, positive message. Okay. And then Miles' dad being a cop is, uh, I mean... Complicated. Like... But it looks okay. like we're going to okay. deal with that next movie. Okay. Because if uh, he stays a cop, things might not work out well for him. That's true. 
I appreciate I appreciate as soon as I saw that someone was calling this propaganda, I was like, I need Dave to explain this. Also, apparently there's a lot of queer readings of the movie, which I also didn't get. Yeah. I mean, um, Miles has a Black Lives Matter pin uh, in Gwen's room. She has a protect trans kids poster. Her world seems to be sort of anchored around the colors of uh, the trans flag. So people are pulling a reading off of that. But also all these hidden identity movies could be that. That's why sure. the Babadook is a gay icon is because this, you could yeah, read that, it in at some What point. I didn't understand was the, the difference between this and like any movie in which a superhero has to come out to someone in their family as being a superhero. I think it's a lot of the age group thing and that this movie is really trying to center um, the relationship between parents and children while mm-hmm. it's talking about spider people, uh, which I imagine is going to pay off at some point and beyond. Uh, but yeah, this one has a lot more to say about parenting which i think is going to push it uh to all the weird things that we don't want to tell our parents uh about how special we are on the inside uh i think that can't apply to across the spider-verse david is someone with a baby did you feel stressed out by peter parker having a baby with him while you did all this shit i mean elisa and i were cackling at (laughs) him with the spider baby and how cute she was and you know him talking about you know running up the fucking space elevator with her strapped to his stomach and how bad of an idea it was i mean it's all very very funny and i thought a really fun use of that standout character from the previous movie i love jay johnson i I was laughing almost this entire time uh this entire movie i i really thought they knocked it out of the park i was right in the zone for it too as i said at the top of the segment but uh you know, it really worked for me. Um, we'll see how I feel about the next one, which I'll probably have to see for work uh, and review, like, because Sony has been doing this recently. God knows why. But, you know, they, they screened the movie like the night before the embargo and I'd have to stay up all night reviewing it. And maybe so you're already I would be less inclined this, to love happening it. in a year that you're going to have to <laughs> well, Yeah, this is how I function. Anyway. Go as a happily paying customer to go see Spider-Man Across the Universe. Have a big frozen margarita during the trailers, and uh, you'll have a great night. That's just when you come back and say you like Transformers Rise of the Beast better than Spider-Verse. We're gonna <laughs> He's going to. <laughs> yeah. I can't say yet, He's obviously but I am excited. Optimus I Primal. Remember if there were... I feel like I had other burning questions about this, and now I can't. I think it's over. <laughs> That does it for this week's show. Currently, the plan is that some of us will see Transformers Rise of the Beast. I got the title right? Rise of the Beast. We'll see. Uh, uh, we'll be back with that next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, executive editor over at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. Patches, where you can see my dissent uh, against Across the Spider-Verse. There's like every review is five out of five stars. Very strange. Uh, get a life, everybody. On Except for yours. <laughs> Except for mine. Uh, and you can listen to old episodes of our podcast if, if you've run out of new ones. Go to fightingintheworm.com. I guarantee we talked about Into the Spider-Verse because we've been doing that long enough. Uh, that This took forever to come out, this sequel, but the first movie, totally in our zone. Go listen to our Spider-Verse episode way back when on fightingintheworm.com. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am the currently on a brief hiatus uh, film critic at IndieWire. Y'all, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find me back on IndieWire in July, where I'll presumably be writing about films like Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Uh, 
In the meantime, you can find all of us together on iTunes. If you in the war room, read us a review. We will read it live on the show. Your words, our mouths. What a beautiful combination. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. If you go to fightingintheworm.com and like Patrick suggested, you're looking for episode 242. Wow. That would be our Into the Spider-Verse episode. You are listening to 432 currently right now. Oh boy, so many weeks. Uh, you can email all of us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. And if you are interested in the story of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you could pre-order my book that comes out in October at themcubook.com. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. When the first Spider-Verse came out, I was on maternity leave, as David is now on paternity leave, and I took my uh, newborn to the theater to see the movie. I guess I'm on that episode. I don't know if I had seen it by then. I have to go listen back. Anyway, uh, David, you should have brought your newborn to the theater. It uh, would only have enhanced your experience, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, you can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast, where we're still doing our Pride Flashback series and talked about Kiss the Spider-Woman this week. It's an interesting one. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And you can find us all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can think of the Spider-Man questions you wanted to ask Dave, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Transformers Rise of the Beasts in theaters this weekend, what would be the name of your first car's Transformer, and was it an Autobot or Decepticon? Important questions. Thank you for listening. We'll be back talking to you next week. Flying in the air, Ooh. that ain't no flying south, sir. Ooh. I'm shooting webs like worldwide, man. Had it all the way to Yonkers. When it say Brooklyn, stand up. stand up, you better just fix your posture. And every hero needs this theme song, so you ain't got a chance, boy. What you think? I'm doing everything but the kitchen sink. I try to be feeling in a neighborhood. I know all the little grannies want to sip their tea. And here you come all barging in, all ugly like a brown fur cardigan. We can skip the monologue and arguing. I'm like, I'm done.